Well, pastors have to face a brutal fact. Most sermons are easily forgotten. I'm very aware of that. And much of this one will probably be forgotten before you hit Mother's, uh, your Mother's Day brunch. Uh, but my son Jimmy, he remembered one and he wanted me to hear about it. And it was a, a message given by Professor Jay Green at Covenant College. And it began with some good news and some bad news. And here's, first of all, the bad news. You're not special. That's what he had to tell the students at Covenant College. You're not special. Now, my son, he didn't want me to misunderstand. Dr. Green said that he believes we're made in God's image. So we could say, therefore, the crown of, of God's creation. We matter to God. God will use us. We will do significant things, special things even, here, in Ecuador, other places that God may lead you. But he was making the point that many of the things we say to encourage ourselves, and oftentimes our children, and dare I say, even our mothers, these things can ring hollow or raise unrealistic expectations. Because we say things like this, go out and make a difference. Take back the culture. Sell your possessions. Give it all away. Go overseas and be a missionary. Or do something really significant and be a pastor. Give your life to something that matters. Be radical. David Platt wrote a book, Radical. I actually haven't read it. I've heard good things about it. But books are produced like this. Change the world. You heard this? The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And then we've got Proverbs 31, which is the Mother's Day ideal. But it's the type of passage that can put the best of mothers under the pile if they read it and say, well, I can't quite be that, you know. Dr. Green argued his case, as I understand it. You're not special. Most of us are not going to be famous. We probably won't write books. We probably won't have books written about us. Few people will quote us. We're going to live. Are you ready for this? We're going to live ordinary, mundane lives. One pastor said, he said it multiple times, live, preach the gospel, die, And be forgotten. I hope you don't find that depressing because it's really true for the vast majority of us, of believers. Live. Preach the gospel. I hope that's part of what you want to do. Die. And be forgotten. I have a question for you. If I were to ask you, who was the greatest disciple? Well, maybe put it this way. Who's the greatest discipler? the most special discipler in the New Testament, apart from Jesus, of course, who comes to mind? Just ponder that for a second. You don't have to say anything or raise your hand. Who comes to mind? Well, you might say the Apostle Paul. He was pretty special and he was radical. 
or one of Paul's disciples, Timothy, Silas, or perhaps Priscilla and Aquila, who pulled aside and instructed Apollos, who was mighty in the scriptures and spoke boldly in the synagogues. Every one of them, they were quite radical and you could say special. But this morning I want to encourage us toward embracing a walk of faith that is radical. Radically ordinary. It's easy easy to overlook the one whom I think should be named the greatest discipler. It's easy to overlook Barnabas. Mostly he flies under the radar, Barnabas. And I'm wondering if the Apostle Paul had Barnabas in mind when he wrote 1 Thessalonians 4.11. But we urge you to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your Work with your hands. You know, that sounds like something my grandma would say, okay? Be quiet. Mind your own beeswax. Get to work. Make your bed. Clean up your room. Do the dishes. My mom was pretty good at saying those things, too. In the next few minutes, we're going to consider radically ordinary Barnabas. Many of us have probably memorized 2 Timothy 2.2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we tend to think of Paul, who the human author of those words, to be at the top of that discipleship chain as he's instructing Timothy. Paul instructing Timothy and teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You can see four generations there. But someone actually was above Paul. And that someone was Barnabas, at least initially. Radically ordinary Barnabas. Years ago, a book was written that had an impact on my life. It was entitled, Disciples Are Made, Not Born. If you can find a copy of it, I encourage you to read it, by Walter Henriksen. Its title is its thesis. No one is born a disciple. If you're a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it's because you've been made a disciple. Paul wasn't born a radical disciple. God used Barnabas and others to make a disciple out of Paul. No one here was born a disciple. Because discipleship is really a process. You you may have been born into this or another church. You may have been born into a covenant family. You may have been raised in a godly Christian home. But still, you need to be made a disciple by the Holy Spirit working working in your life and with the word to grow you into the image of Christ and probably also some significant person or persons who invests in you. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 31. And of course, the context of this is Saul has been converted on the road to Damascus, and immediately after his conversion, what does he do? He begins to preach Jesus, from persecutor of Jesus to preacher of Jesus, in very short order. After his conversion, Saul's reputation preceded him. It says, all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Yeah, just ask Stephen when you get to heaven. And has he not come here from this purpose? 
for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests. Paul made threats before his conversion, but then he faced death threats after. Paul escaped. He went to Jerusalem where he is very unwelcome among the disciples. His reputation had preceded him. That's the background. Now listen to God's word as I read Acts chapter 9, verses 26 to 31. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Please pray with me. Our great God, the giver of the Holy Spirit and the giver of the word, we ask you to work with and by this word for our benefit, for our instruction, for our sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the early 1980s, my wife Wendy and I, we were involved in a church in Minnesota, and the choir director recruited us to be in an octet. And in one of his devotionals, he talked about how he wanted to burn out for Jesus. I want to burn out for Jesus. I just want to go for it and burn out for Jesus. You know, and it sounds commendable, but it wasn't long before he ran off with the church pianist. That's one way to burn out, but not for Jesus. In the same church was Tom Vickerman, the maintenance man who aspired to serve in missions. But as time went on, that door closed for him. Instead, he faithfully continued to maintain the church, raise his family, and serve Jesus right where he was. Tom Vickerman was the faint star in the night who flickered faithfully. Tom Vickerman was radically ordinary. The choir director was a streaking meteor who burned out suddenly and quickly, bringing disgrace upon the church in the name of Christ. Which would you rather be? The faint star in the night flickering faithfully? Or a streaking meteor who burns out suddenly and quickly? Barnabas was the faint star. His name means son of encouragement. In the book of Acts, Barnabas sort of sneaks up on us quietly. How is he introduced? But Barnabas. But Barnabas. No fanfare. While everyone else is running scared from Paul, we read, but Barnabas. And what does Barnabas do? Well, the son of encouragement encourages Paul. He takes him under his wing, introduces him to the apostles, and Paul does what Paul does. 
So I want to encourage us in this way with an application. In order to be radically ordinary, we must be encouragers. I don't know anybody who doesn't like to be encouraged. You know, it reminds me of the song. Encourage one another and build each other up. How many of you know that? It's Steve Green. I've got to keep my record intact by at least singing one line of a song when I come here. Build each other up. Build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up. Up, 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 up. And I won't, I'll spare you the rest, but everyone loves to be encouraged. My wife is very skilled at encouraging. So in January, I had shoulder surgery. Rotator cuff, right arm. I can't lift that thing. I can't move it. So what do I decide to do? Grow a beard. I can't shave. So, you know, I can't, I'm not doing much. I'm sitting around, got a sling and all that stuff. <clears throat> My beard's growing. I hadn't had a beard in 20 years. I've never had a beard very long. But I do remember every time, you know, we have egos, right, guys, and everybody does. But, you know, my beard, every now and then I'm looking at it and I say, hey, honey, what do you think of my beard? She never discouraged me. This is how she encouraged me. You look so nice when you're clean shaven. That's my wife, you know. She looked at me and said, I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm going to turn that and give him some encouragement. Missionary friend of mine. Now, I, you know, it's just been a focus of mine for, for years, really, for decades, to look for evangelism opportunities. Now, a missionary friend of mine, he wrote me this note, and I kept it. It's probably 25 years old now. And every now and then I stumble across it in my wallet, and I look at it, and I'm like, man, this guy really encouraged me. His name's Greg Trias in in Cameroon on the mission field, and he said, Dear Bill, I see in you the heart of the evangelist that I have often longed to be displayed in me, which is praised in Proverbs 11.30. He who wins souls is wise. That just encouraged me so much because I do I do focus on evangelism, but I don't ever feel like I'm super great at it. I just really want to share the gospel. Not only does a radical, ordinary disciple encourage, but they also accept responsibility. Saul was converted in the midst of the persecuting church. And because of this persecution, the church began to disperse in Chapter 11, verse 19, we read, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Antioch. What happens in Antioch? A great number who believed turned to the Lord. What a great problem. People are turning to the Lord. You know, and I think about, you know, I got here a little early and I was, and I was uh, looking at the board there and I saw the opportunities to serve and I thought, Wow, and I heard, you know, Betsy's announcement. Maybe VBS, you're going to see children and adults, extended family come to faith. Sometimes we don't even see it necessarily in the moment, but it happens. Looks like there's a young life ministry that the church has been involved with. Maybe there's going to be some revival that breaks out in the little country church on the edge of town. God may begin to move 
because of your prayers in the realm of life. Been paying attention to what's going on in the Supreme Court? Perhaps there will be revival in various parts of the world that you pray for, North and South America and Europe and Africa. God uses all kinds of means to advance his kingdom. We could call them ordinary means, you know, the word and prayer and sacraments and worship and evangelism. But God also uses persecution. God used persecution to advance his kingdom in Antioch. So let's learn this lesson. I heard the prayer requests, and I know there are trials, and you can't go anywhere without everybody's carrying burdens, and we're to bear one another's burdens. But trials are more than they, they seem on, at face value. Of course we're to pray. I'm sure the disciples would have preferred to stay safely, hunkered down in Jerusalem where it was nice and safe, but the persecution forced them to spread. And what happened when, when they spread out? The gospel spread with them. So this is another good news, bad news. The bad news, there's persecution. The good news, there's revival breaking out in Antioch. And with this revival, mature leadership is needed. Someone needs to take responsibility. Who, to whom do they look? Well, in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, we see they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Radically ordinary encourager Barnabas is given the responsibility. Well, you know, people of Newport, you also have the responsibility to be radically ordinary and take ministry responsibility. I, I did. I saw all those opportunities, great opportunities, and maybe you're the types like, well, that looks kind of mundane and boring, and I'm not sure. No. <laughs> if you're gifted, God's calling you. And so it'd be great if next time I come, if I come, <laughs> uh, if I'm invited back, and I see fewer of those requests because people are taking the responsibility and saying, well, maybe this isn't, you know, a, there's not a big spotlight on this, but, you know, I love the motto, I guess you'd say, of our church. Shine the spotlight on Christ. Shine the spotlight on Christ. That's where it needs to be. Well, when Barnabas arrives at Antioch, we gain more, uh, we gain more insight into his character. So here are some things we see. Barnabas was glad when he saw the grace of God at work. You know, radically ordinary disciples are grace-focused. Barnabas exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Radically ordinary disciples, they remain steadfast and faithful to the Lord for the long haul. Barnabas is a good man, is what he said. He's just a good man. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was good. That would describe radically ordinary disciples. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Wouldn't it be a great thing that somebody would say that about you? Guy's not perfect, but I see that he's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Now, I don't want to turn this into a sermon that's like, be like Barnabas, you know, let's be like the best version of humanity that we can possibly look to, because that's really not the purpose of learning about Barnabas. Really what we need to focus on is what did Barnabas believe? Well, he believed what Paul believed. And Paul, you know, the simple gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, 
Christ died for our sins. I delivered to you as a first importance. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and raised again on the third day. And then he appeared to Peter and the twelve and more than 500 people at one time. He believed that gospel. He believed also in the Holy Spirit and faith. And these go together. Faith is a gift. It's given to us by God. We don't conjure that up in ourselves. It's a gift from God. So we're given the gift of faith at conversion, and at the same time, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, I think I've told you that, you know, I've taken up driving Uber just because I love the human interaction. So I'm out out there in St. Louis, and I'm awake anyway at 3.30 in the morning, and wouldn't you know, there's people that want to go places, want to go to the airport, want to go to work, whatever. I met Dan. Immediately, we had a lot in common. I usually, t- I usually dangle, you know, I'm a pastor, I do this, you know, because I like it and stuff, but I'm, you know, I'm a pastor, and that usually informs a conversation. Dan said, hey, you know, I used to, I'm from Chattanooga, I used to go to New City in Chattanooga, the founder of New City is Randy Neighbors, pastor, and, and then he says, I also went to Reformed Presbyterian Church, and that's now, doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. And I was, you know, as the conversation went on, I said, well, are you connected to a church now? A little bit of silence. He said, well, no, not really. A little more silence. And then he offered this. Now I'm an atheist. You're an atheist. What happened? I didn't ask him. What I I said is, wow, okay, I guess you've been asking a lot of questions. He said, yeah. I said, said, well, you know, it, it isn't over till it's over. Keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. He got out, got on his plane. Maybe I'll see him again. I don't know. How does somebody go from all that to now an atheist? 64 years old. I remember in college, one of the leaders of our campus ministry said, you know, it's not uncommon that many people fall away from the faith at some point in their life. And I remember sitting there almost in fear thinking, I've come to faith. I'm excited about my faith. I want to grow. I don't want to be one of those. And I just want to exhort you, especially maybe young people, any age, guy 64, don't be one of those people. <laughs> don't be one of those people. Commit to being a radically ordinary disciple. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it tells what Barnabas does when he gets to Antioch. So Barnabas, he looks around, sees what's happening, and he sees revival breaking out, so what does he do? He goes and gets Saul, or Paul. It's 86 miles, 172 miles, round trip. He gets Paul, he brings him back because he knows that Paul could use some on-the-job training with him. Takes him under his wing. And maybe Barnabas had heard that Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of of Israel. So he goes and gets Paul, and together they minister in Antioch, and they make the gospel known. Acts 13 reveals that that for which God was preparing them, the church is praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So that first missionary journey, of course, was quite eventful. 
They visit at least 10 cities. They preach. They're persecuted. They heal. But something significant happens. After that, instead of up until that point, they were always in the scripture, Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. After that, there's a switch, subtle switch. Switches to Paul and Barnabas. Somewhere along the line, there's a name change, that uh, order of change of the names, and it happens right after they visit the city of Paphos. Now, um, let me read to you what takes place there, because I think it's kind of entertaining to read, but it's also very instructive. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, notice the word order, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, you know, before we heard but Barnabas, takes Paul under his wing, Saul under his wing, but Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now I want to say that you may think, well, Paul's approach is a good approach. Let's go around and do that. I want to, I want to encourage you that if you take that approach, most, most mission uh, organizations are going to reject you. Okay, Work for Paul, probably won't work for you, probably won't work well in Ecuador. Let me encourage you the, the way, just basic level of interacting with people. Let people know you go to church. You meet somebody, that's what I do when I drive Uber. Now, it's pretty easy for me because I usually throw out fairly quick. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm kind of semi-retired, but I'm a pastor. You know, let them know that you're a Christian. And let people know that your faith is meaningful to you. Let them know you go to church. Let them know that you're a Christian. Let them know that your faith is meaningful to you in some way. In other words, share some quick, short little testimony. I do this all the time. George got in my car this week, and I did all that. I said, hey, you know, I'm a pastor. And, you know, in one sentence, that covers all three of those. I realize that might not work for you, but I said, hey, you know, George, you know, I'm a pastor. I do this part-time, but I'm a pastor and a minister and stuff. He said, yeah, I'm a soft atheist. And I was like, the other thing I've learned is to ask this question, some version of it, all the time. What do you mean by that? So I said, you're a soft atheist. What do you mean by that? And he went on to tell me, I used to be a hard atheist. Hard atheist is like, mm, don't talk about it. I'm convinced. I'm now somewhere between an atheist and an agnostic, so I consider myself more toward the atheist side. I'm a soft atheist. So we talked about that. Where did this universe come from? I, you know, we just had a good conversation. Uh, gave him my card. Said, you know, I love talking about this. If you want to talk more about it, give me a call. One thing became clear to Barnabas in the passage from 
This moment on, it's Paul and Barnabas. It's as though Barnabas' approach becomes like John the Baptist. Jesus shows up on the scene. I must decrease. He must increase. God has gifted him. God has blessed him. Later on that trip, they arrive in Lystra. And Paul is speaking and commands a lame man to get on his feet. And he's healed. And the people get excited. And they call Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. Now, Paul is out in front. Barnabas is in the background. Paul leads. You know, but Barnabas now, as the follower, doesn't mean passivity. You know, Barnabas and Paul came to an impasse over John Mark. Barnabas said, we need to take John Mark with us on this second missionary trip. And Paul said, no, we can't take John Mark because he abandoned us in the first one. So what does Barnabas do? He treated John Mark same way, in a sense, the way he treated Paul when he first heard about him. He took him under his wing, and off they went. Now, the rest of the book of Acts in the New Testament obviously focuses more on Paul than it follows Barnabas, but we see that there was reconciliation there between Paul and John Mark as Paul makes a statement later on. Barnabas wasn't perfect. He was carried away in the hypocrisy, if you read about it in Galatians chapter 2. But even that should encourage you because, you know, he was a good man. He was an encourager. He was faithful. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was carried away by hypocrisy. So if you find yourself caught in sin and feeling like a hypocrite, you're in good company, at least the company of Barnabas, who was also a hypocrite. Being radically ordinary doesn't mean you won't sin. That's why we have that time of confession of sin and worship. That might include reconciling with a brother or sister. You got somebody you're avoiding? You duck down a different aisle at Walmart because you see them over there? I've done that. So we see there was strong indication that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were, rec- were reconciled. Let me just wrap this up by saying Dr. R. Scott Clark likens the Christian life to a drive across Nebraska. You might say Kansas. Rather than through the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. You know, in Rocky Mountains, I remember the first time I went there. Nebraska, Kansas, goes on forever mundane. You know, it's good to realize that you're just an ordinary Christian driving across Nebraska. By faith in the Holy Spirit, that's what I want to be. I want to strive to be just radically ordinary. And I want to be radically ordinary tomorrow and the next day and ten years from now. And when, as the hymn says, death dew lies cold on my brow, I hope to be ushered into the presence of Jesus as a radically ordinary disciple. Most of us aren't going to have books written about us, but we can be radically ordinary. To wrap it back around, Dr. Green at Covenant College began his chapel message with bad news. You're not special. But he ended his chapel message with this good news. You're not special. 
but you can still be radically ordinary. You can be faithful. You can aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands and to make your bed and clean up your room and do the dishes as you drive through life, through Nebraska. Be radically ordinary. Follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the example of someone like Barnabas, who was that flickering star that just kept flickering out in the distance in the night. Didn't burn out for you. He kept flickering. He kept being faithful. He encouraged. He took responsibility. He took a back seat. Lord, help us to be your faithful disciples. In your precious name, amen.